a chapter two review on chemistry. Um, so we'll just get started. Um, so we're going to go according to the study guide um, and the parts that are highlighted. So the first is to list and describe three subatomic particles and the atomic structures. Um, so there's three subatomic particles that make up an element or an atom, I should say. Um, and that is a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Uh, the protons and the neutrons are located within the nucleus of an atom. Protons have a positive charge, and neutrons have a neutral charge. They don't have any charge at all. Electrons have a negative charge. And you'll find electrons orbiting around the nucleus. Um, the weight of the proton is somewhat equivalent to the weight of the neutron, um, but the weight of electrons is basically almost negligible. Next is to identify the atomic symbol, atomic number, atomic weight, and mass number. So the atomic symbol is usually a letter or two to, um, uh, to describe an element or to identify an element on the periodic table. The atomic number is the number that's usually listed above the atomic symbol, and that number denotes the amount of protons. And what we use to identify or define an element is by the number of protons that are in it, because that number never changes for an element. So um, atomic weight is usually the weight of you know all the protons, neutrons, and electrons combined. The mass number is usually that number to, um, it's kind of like an average um, in weight, so to speak, um, in terms of its um, atomic weight. Um, define an isotope. Isotope is basically an atom that has a different number of neutrons than it should. Um, so that's when the neutrons number different uh, differ from what it should be. Uh, the valence shell is um, the outermost shell of an atom, and that means, and the importance of the valence shell is that it's um, going to determine the chemical bonding of an element. Um, so, for example, the octet rule, you know, most, um, I, I would say all, all elements, all atoms, want to reach their full valence shell. They want eight uh, electrons in their total valence to be complete. Um, so um, the you know more or less that they have will determine how reactive they can be. Now, if they have a full valence shell, then they're going to be relatively stable or inert, and uh, that's usually going to be seen in the last uh, group with the noble gases. They don't like to bond with anybody because they don't need to because they already have their full octet. Um, be able to determine the number of valence electrons and vacancies. Um, and that's by just counting the um, outermost shell, by being able to look at the periodic table, look at the group number, and you can kind of use that to determine um, how many are, are does the um, atom need uh, to either gain or lose in order to reach its valence. Um, molecule is I is uh, when two or more atoms of an element chemically join together. 
So it's basically just a group of two or more atoms. Um, and you see this a lot of times with diatomic um, elements. So have no fear of high school beers, a mnemonic to remember those seven diatomic elements um, or elements that kind of can exist alone as a single atom. It's usually going to be bonded to another one of its own. Um, like oxygen, for example, you know, it naturally it's it's a molecule in its natural state um, or most abundant state. And so it's going to be usually existing as O2 instead of just a singular oxygen. The way that molecules differ from compounds is that compounds contain atoms of different elements. So they, so um, all compounds are molecules, but not all molecules are compounds. Um, another important thing about molecules is that molecules are covalently bonded. And just remember that um, acids are molecules, they are covalently bonded. Salts and bases are usually compounds. Salts are like NaCl, um, for example, is a salt. Um, and then an example of a base would be sodium hydroxide. You know, you got different um, compounds going on. So within the, you have different uh, elements within the compound. Um, describe the three common types of chemical bonds. Uh, there's ionic, covalent, and um, I'll leave hydrogen for last because that's not necessarily a type of bond, but more of an interparticle force. So we have two main types of chemical bonds, ionic and covalent. So what's the difference? Well, ionic is when an atom will either take or give away um, its electrons in order to reach its um, uh, valence or uh, its octet in its valent shell. Um, so it's just the total giving uh, or taking. Um, and usually uh, when two atoms will uh, form, it's usually between a metal and a non-metal. Um, metals tend to become cations and they like to lose their electrons becoming positively charged. And non-metals um, like usually become anions, and uh, they form a negative charge. And usually, these positive to negative attractions um, between the amount of electrons that each um, cation and anion have will aid in the exchange of electrons, so that each atom involved in the bond can reach its octet. So, for example, NaCl. Is, is a salt, but it's an ionic bond keeping them together. Um, on the other hand, we have covalent. So uh, before we get into that, just to make a note, um, ionic and covalent bonds, they also kind of have a, a degree of electronegativity. So with ionic bonding, the degree of electronegativity is really, really high. Um, and that kind of refers to the amount of of uh, charge that's occurring between the between the atoms or between the elements. Um, if you have, uh, usually it's a two and a and a, a value of two and above uh, makes a, a bond ionic. Um, but anything below that kind of goes into the covalent realm. And covalent bonding refers to when atoms share electrons. So it's not a total giving or taking, it's just sharing.
Um, so uh, the reason why this could be beneficial is that um, the, that the uh, elements don't have to per se like give away a total thing. They can just share. Like for example, like if I had a burger but no fries, and my friend had fries but no burger, we could form a covalent bond and exchange. You know, I could give her a piece of my burger in exchange for some of her fries, and then there you go. You got a covalent bond going on. Um, covalent bonds can be either polar or nonpolar. So what does that mean? Polar is that it's an unequal sharing of electrons between elements. For example, water is an, a polar uh, covalent bond. Um, or it could be, which also, if it's a polar covalent bond, that also means that the electronegativity value between uh, overall, there's an overall dipole uh, between the atoms, uh, between the elements. And uh, that electronegativity value is usually above a 0.5. Anything below 0.5 in electronegativity, that's going to result in a nonpolar covalent bond. And that essentially means that the um, atoms are kind of sharing their electrons equally. You know, instead of me taking most of her fries and giving her some of my burger or like a small, like a bite or two, you know, she, it's it's equal. I'm getting half of her fries. She's getting half of my burger. It's split. We you know we're both happy. So um, when it's nonpolar, then it's an equal sharing. If it is polar, it's an unequal sharing of electrons. And then lastly is hydrogen. I don't know why this textbook groups it as a chemical bond, but it's de it's it's an interparticle force that's stronger than an, a van der Waals force. Um, and it essentially was most important in uh, water uh, molecule uh, force connections. So essentially, uh, hydrogen bonding is an interparticle force um, that occurs mainly between water molecules. Uh, because within a water molecule, you'll have polar covalent bonds. But what keeps the water uh, the the water's polar covalent um, bonded, you know, uh, molecules together is going to be hydrogen bonds. So hydrogen bonds are between the molecules, but within the molecule is a co polar covalent bond. Next up, we define an ion, which is a charged atom. It could be positively charged or negatively charged. Kind of went over cations and anions already. Um, and uh, just an, a quick mnemonic for remembering whether or not, you know, it's gaining or losing is GER-LEO. GER is, if it's uh, gaining electrons, it's being reduced. They're, it's a, going through a, redu a reduction reaction. And if it's losing electrons, then it's that, that, that uh, compound is being oxidized. Um, next up, define endergonic and exergonic. I know the differences between each, i.e. catabolic, anabolic. Which one is the production of ATP? The breaking of ATP into ADP and, P and phosphate. So endergonic uh, means that it's a reaction that is absorbing energy. Ender means like enter. So think energy is entering the reaction. It's absorbing energy. And something that it's going to be absorbing energy. Um, so it's kind of building. And that could be an anabolic process. So it's going to, you know, for example, make ATP. Production of ATP. Anabolic is to build or to produce. So, you know, the production of ATP is going to be anabolic. It's going to be endergonic. And then um, exergonic 
is the release of energy from a chemical reaction. And, and a good way to think of that is, is that exergonic sounds like exit. You know, energy is exiting the reaction. Energy is being released from the reaction. Um, and that's a catabolic process. So it's going to be, for example, like breaking of ATP into ADP and phosphate. That's a catabolic exergonic reaction. Another way to think about these entergonic and exergonic reactions is uh, the monomers um, becoming becoming polymers and uh, or vice versa, polymers becoming monomers. So a monomer is a, a unit uh, of like small molecules that kind of make up a bigger one, and a, you know make like a chain of monomers can make up a polymer. For example, what are carbohydrates made out of? You know, if you break it down to its smallest unit, it's going to be glucose or fats, you know, the, at least the dietary kind, you know, it's going to be what, what's, a, a, what's a triglyceride made out of, you know, one glycerol and three fatty acids or proteins, you know, what are the building blocks of proteins, amino acids. So amino acids would be the monomer to the polymer that is a protein or a polypeptide. So if we're breaking apart, you know, the, let's say we're, we're going from a polypeptide to its monomer, which is a, an amino acid, that's an exergonic reaction. But if we were to do the reverse of that, then we would have an endergonic reaction. You know, that reaction is going to absorb energy into building ATP, or I mean, into building the, a protein. I'm sorry. Water is very important to the human body. Um, most of our, what we are is water. Uh, so it makes up a good portion of our weight. Um, it's a universal solvent. Um, I think because of its polarity, um, it's able to um, dissolve uh, a lot of solutes. Um, it has uh, cohesion and adhesion characteristics, which is also important in capillary action. We have a lot of capillaries in our body, within our cardiovascular system, within our lymph system. And especially within our cardiovascular system, like for example, our blood, our capillaries, they use capillary action in order for, um, you know, the fluid fluidity of blood, would you know, water, blood, for it to move um, through small, tiny, you know, narrow tubes. Um, so cohesion and adhesion properties of water help with the movement of it throughout our system. Um, another thing is that water has high heat capacity. So that helps us maintain homeostasis by regulating our body temperature and making sure that it doesn't uh, go out of range too quickly or too drastically. You know, it takes a lot of time to heat up water it's, uh, or, or to freeze it. Uh, so it has a high heat capacity and that helps us with our thermo uh, equilibrium, our thermoregulation. Um, next, I'm going to define the pH scale, which is... In layman's terms, it's the percentage of hydrogen ions um, in a solution. Um, and usually it's on a logarithmic scale. So um, seven is neutral. Um, zero would be that the solution has the maximum amount of hydrogen ions that it could have. And I think 14 at the other end of the scale has the least amount of uh, hydrogen ions. But you know, the flip side of that is it has the most amount of hydroxide ions within the solution. And that's kind of, you know, getting into acidity and ba acids and bases. 
Um, so acids are solutions that uh, produce uh, hydrogen ions, and bases um, produce or give off hydroxide ions. Next, we're going to go into the four major classes of organic compounds, which are macromolecules. There's carbohydrates, proteins, lipids, and nucleotides, or nucleic acids. So some of the chemical building blocks uh, in these organic, uh, uh, organic biomolecules um, is CHOMPS. That's a mnemonic to remember. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur. So uh, let's start with carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are a main energy source within um, an animal, and uh, they are their monomers are going to be monosaccharides like glucose, fructose, and galactose, um, which make up disaccharides. Um, so depending on how those monosaccharides join up can determine whether or not it makes up a disaccharide. Um, so that would be if two glucose molecules were joined together, you'd have a maltose. Um, if you were to join a glucose with a fructose, you get sucrose or table sugar. And if you were to combine glucose with galactose, then you get lactose, which I myself am lactose intolerant, which means I don't have the enzyme to break down this disaccharide. Um, that's, you know, commonly found in uh, mammary gland secretion. Um, and then the polymer of carbohydrates is going to be uh, polysaccharides uh, like starch or glycogen or cellulose. Uh, and these are just long chains of, of uh, different um, disaccharides. Uh, the difference between starch and glycogen is that starch is the plant form of stored, you know, carbohydrate energy. And glycogen is the stored form in animals, um, usually in the liver. Next, we're going to move on to lipids, uh, which think long-term energy. Lipids are, tri like triglycerides, for example, the ones that we eat, are usually um, going to be 9 calories per gram, as opposed to carbohydrates and proteins, which are 4 calories per gram. So lipids are, have a lot more energy potential within them. Um, and so lipids, you know, there's a lot of uh, roles that they play in the body. Um, they make up part of the cell membrane, the phospholipid bilayer. Um, and they also help, you know, cushion um, our vital organs. They provide some insulation. So again, monomers versus polymers. What are the monomers of lipids? That's going to be fatty acids and uh, attached to a glycerol backbone. So you have three fatty acids attached to one glycerol backbone, and that makes your triglyceride. Um, I guess another monomer could be a phospholipid. So you have, the, the, you have that triglyceride, but attached to it as a phosphate head, a polar phosphate head um, that is also hydrophilic. Um, and the fatty acid tails is hydrophobic or nonpolar. Very important um, when it comes to, you know, cell transport. Um, and then a polymer would be a, a fat molecule, triglyceride. Next, we have nucleic acids, uh, which make up DNA and RNA. Um, and these are unique um, biomolecules because they store genetic information within their bonds. Uh, and they're important for protein synthesis.
Um, so the monomers of nucleic acids are nucleotides. Um, and essentially, uh, in the middle of a nucleotide, you'll have a sugar. Um, and uh, attached to that is a phosphate group and a nitrogenous base. Um, and you'll see um, that depending on the whether it's in DNA or RNA, the uh, nucleotides might be a little different. Um, so for DNA, you'll have, for both DNA and RNA, you will see um, adenine, um, guanine, and cytosine. But in but only uh, thymine is unique to DNA, and uracil is unique to RNA, um, which we'll get into later when we go over transcription and translation in chapter three. Um, but um, nucleotides basically make up uh, nucleic acids such as DNA or RNA. Remember, DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. RNA is ribonucleic acid. These are just the for, the polymer forms of nucleic acids. Um, and just remember their bases. For DNA, it's adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. And in RNA, it's adenine, uracil, guanine, and cytosine. Um, and I'll just kind of get into this a little bit now. But the way this, you know, is very important is when um, RNA, mRNA is being transcribed um, and... When there's a um, when there's an adenine um, base on the DNA, um, since RNA doesn't have thymine, it's going to substitute uracil instead. Um, so A to U, when we're transcribing uh, mR, you know, DNA into mRNA, the adenine is going to match up with uracil. But when um, we do have the thymine in the DNA and went during transcription, um, then RNA will use its adenine to match up to thymine. And last up, but very not least, we have proteins, um, which is a very major biomolecule uh, responsible for a lot of different functions in the body, you know, provide structure, um, help with transport. So structure could be like keratin or elastin transport like hemoglobin or lipoproteins, aka cholesterol. There's LDL, HDL, high-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein. You know, these are proteins that are lipoproteins, but they transport things. Um, proteins are also involved in, in, you know, in signaling and hormones, for example, insulin, glucagon. These are hormones that are important for digestion. Um, th those are proteins. Those are made out of proteins. Um, contractiles, so the myosin, actin, um, those are made out of proteins. Enzymes are made out of proteins. So, uh, I think, uh, very important parts of the white, uh, the, the immune system uses, uh, proteins. So proteins make up a huge part of our, our body. There's a lot of functions going on with proteins, which we'll get into a lot more later, but it's good to know just at least a few, uh, functions, um, of proteins. So the monomer of proteins, as I mentioned before, is amino acids. So you'll have an amino group, a carboxyl group, and what makes each amino acid different is its R group or its functional group or its side group. That's different for each amino acid. And there's about 20 amino acids usually um, that we use in our body. Um, and there's some of them that are essential, meaning that 
we need to get them from our food because we can't make them on our own. Um, and just to kind of get into something important here about uh, monomers, as we delve into the polymer uh, protein, you know, po polypeptides, which is many amino acids, there's uh, different names for the structures from an amino acid to a polypeptide. Um, there's four main structures of a protein, so to speak. We have the primary structure, which is kind of a linear arrangement of the amino acids. Um, so again, the primary structure of a protein is going to be the sequence uh, or of ch a chain of amino acids. And uh, just as a side note, it's important that uh, we mention that even the, um, so the location of certain amino acids, um, whether it's in the primary, secondary, tertiary, or quaternary structure, will dictate how their level or their structure will look. After the primary structure, we go on to the secondary structure, which is a local folding of the polypeptide chain into either a pleated sheet or a helix, um, an alpha helix or a, B, a beta pleated sheet. Um, next, we have um, the tertiary structure, which is a three-dimensional folding uh, pattern of protein due to side chain interactions. So you could see, um, you know, B-pleated sheet meshing or folding into an, a uh, an alpha helix. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the chain reaction, the chain interactions causing that folding pattern. And last but not least, we have the quaternary protein structure, which is a protein consisting of more than one amino acid chain. Uh, essentially, um, in the quaternary structure, um, there are multiple polypeptide chains, uh, also known as subunits, that kind of come together and give this kind of convoluted structure, uh, which we call quaternary. Um, and you don't really see too many proteins be having a quaternary structure. Um, yeah. Um, and I think I might have already went over the structure of an amino acid, which is basically a, uh, an amino group, a carboxyl group, um, and an R group or side chain. And I think I already mentioned this, but the importance of the R group is that that's kind of unique to each uh, individual amino acid. There's about 20 um, different amino acids. So what differs between amino acids is the R group. Uh, we talked about protein folding um, with different levels of protein structures, primary, secondary, tertiary, quaternary. And just to mention denaturation, um, when a protein becomes denatured, it's usually when there's too much heat. For example, enzymes can become denatured and due to excess, excessively high heat. And the structure of the protein will kind of change and kind of inactivate that protein or the enzyme will become inactive. So that. Um, and last but not least, just a fact to remember, red blood cells um, like to exist in a 0.9% or 0.15 molar um, salt solution concentration. Um, that's the normal red blood cell solute concentration of NaCl. So red blood cells, 0.9% or 0.15 molar NaCl solution with an osmotic pressure of 0.3. And lastly, I'll touch on ATP uh, or adenosine triphosphate, 
which is also known as cellular energy. It's produced in the mitochondria, which is an organelle within the cell, a eukaryotic cell, um, that um, is responsible for cellular energy. It's made in, within the mitochondria due to cellular respiration, which is a whole process that we're not getting into right now. Um, and the reason, the main reason why um, ATP is such a great energy source for cells is because of phosphorylation. They have these phosphor, uh, phosphate bonds in between the adenines, so um, that is a very high energy bond. And when we break those bonds, we, it releases a lot of energy. And that kind of wraps up chapter two. Thank you. Before we wrap up chapter two, I just want to make one note. Um, about lipids. I feel like I didn't talk about lipids. Uh, they're made up of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, sometimes phosphorus. Uh, there's four main types of lipids, um, triglycerides, phospholipids, glycolipids, and glyco, uh, I hope I mentioned glycolipids, glycerides, steroids, echinoceroids, fatty acids, so just to summarize what that is, the five important classes of lipids um, are fatty acids, glycerides, steroids, phospholipids, glycolipids, and uh, eicinosoids, uh, and glycerides, I mentioned that already. Um, and I think a lot of times people get the, 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 the understanding saturated versus unsaturated confused. And that kind of refers to the structure of the triglyceride. Um, if a triglyceride is saturated, that means it has all, all the carbons within the, the, um, the molecule are singly, singularly bonded. So it's going to be the straight, flat molecule. There's not going to be any bending. Whereas if it's unsaturated, that means it has at least one or more double carbon bonds um, within the, 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 tri the carbon chain. Um, and that double bond is going to create a bending or a, a fold kind of within that lipid, within that triglyceride. And that kind of um, affects like how saturated and saturated, unsaturated fatty acids can stack themselves on top of each other. Um, for example, this is why fish are mostly unsaturated um, because if they were saturated, they'd be really stiff. Um, whereas unsaturated, you know, there's a lot more space in between the molecules. So the, um, you know, unsaturated fats are usually liquid at room temperature. So the, the fish is going to have more malleability, more, more motility. It's going to be able to move around a lot better. So I think that was important to mention. Um, and then a phospholipid is important as well because that makes up the cell membrane. Um, and that's essentially, you know, your triglyceride, uh, your, your fatty, your triglyceride, your glycerol backbone with three fatty acids attached and a phosphate head, which is a polar phosphate head. Um, and that's your phospholipid. And when you have two of those and the tails attract each other, that makes the phospholipid bilayer, which is what makes up the cell membrane, or at least the bulk of it. And that now finally wraps up chapter two.